Well, good morning. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. So glad you've joined us this morning. We are in the midst of our Christmas series and the Christmas season. It's cold in Phoenix. It's so really getting the Christmas vibes, and we're full on. It's December 9th. Uh, you see this place decorated. Christmas is, uh, is, is all happening. Some of you started celebrating Christmas in October, but for most of us normal people, uh, now is when we really get into the Christmas vibe of things. So we're in that as a church, Christmas series. Last week, uh, Pastor Matt Hawkins kicked it off with peace. Today, we're talking about hope. As you see on this banner, we're going to talk about love and joy. These are the four themes of a season called Advent. That's the season that we're in. I'm going to tell you more about that as we go along here. But uh, as we're in this series and in this Christmas season, season talking about hope, I think for a lot of us, hope is a common thing we talk about. And maybe we even say that word, like, I, I hope that I get this promotion, or I, I hope I get this gift at Christmas, or I hope uh, in the new year, in 2019, it's, it's a better year than 2018. And, and we think, I, I hope, I hope, I hope. And I think in particular at Christmas, right, we, we say that a lot and have that hope because we have lights up and we have music that sort of fills us with hope. But as we talk about hope, we're going to talk about a little bit different type of hope. The biblical hope is different, uh, that it's more weightier than lights or music or, dec- or decor. It's more weightier than, than a feeling we may have of, of a probability of maybe something will happen that biblically hope is based on not probability but promise. And so we're going to talk about why, why is biblical hope different, particularly at Christmas time, than the feels we have? Why is it different, and how does it make us different? Because listen, as you have hope, a different kind of hope, it's not just the way you view things out there, it's the way things change in here. Hope changes you. And so as we enter into this Christmas season, I know there's a lot going on even today for you, we have a hope that changes everything about your life. And so we're going to look at that today. We're going to do so what Rachel just read, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you didn't already grab a Bible, as she mentioned, we'd love for you to get that in front of you. And as you do that, I want to set this up a little bit. The Apostle Paul here is writing to the church at Thessalonica. And as you heard those words, you kind of noticed a theme. This is about the second coming of Christ. And some of you who are new to church or maybe unfamiliar with Advent may be like, well, I thought we were talking about the, the baby and the manger and the first coming. Well, Advent literally means coming. And, and for us as Christians in 2018, we really live in a reality of two different comings, right? The, the first coming of Jesus as a baby, but also the second coming of Jesus as king. That in 2018, we look back to the coming of Jesus, God becoming man, the incarnation. It's an amazing thing, God with us. So we look back to that hope, but we also look forward that that Jesus who who became a baby also returns as a king. He's coming again, and we live in between those two realities, and that's really what Advent is all about. So we're going to look at Paul's words, specifically about that second coming, see how it relates to the the first coming, and how we have hope because of both of those. Look at it with me. The first thing Paul says is he doesn't want them to be uninformed. So there's something Paul wants them to know. There's something Paul wants you to know, God wants you to know this morning. And then he tells them the result. That result so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. He's saying, I want you to 
to know something, but it's not just for intellect. Paul's saying, I want you to know something that affects your life, that changes who you are, and it's specifically around this idea of loss. Look at the text again with me. He says, those who are asleep, that Paul's referring to, to death, that those who are asleep. At that time, you see these people that have fallen asleep, that have passed away, that have died. We don't want you to grieve only. We want you to grieve as someone who has hope. And the reality is at Christmas time, it's a merry time. It's a glorious time, but it's also a grieving time, right? Some of you this morning, as you approach the holidays and the lights, and maybe you smile every once in a while, but deep inside, there's a mourning for a loss. Maybe it's your first Christmas without someone. Maybe it's your first Christmas without your, your dad. Maybe it's your first Christmas without your, your spouse. Maybe it's your first Christmas away from someone. Maybe you haven't lost them in death, but you feel the weight of loss. And, and maybe for some of you, it's another Christmas just being alone. I think, Tim, I've lost a lot of people in life, and Christmas just reminds me of that fact. And so the reality is, is, as Christmas season is upon us, there's a glorious time, but there's also a grieving time for many. Maybe for some of you, even as, as college students or, or younger adults, Christmas is a time for you to remember not the loss of death, but the loss of divorce. And that every time you go to your mom's house for Christmas and then have to do a separate Christmas with your dad because they don't get along and there's drama every time they get together and you're reminded of loss. And as, as glorious as Christmas can be, you experience some grieving. And so as we talk about hope, you need to know hope is not removed from grief. Paul acknowledges that, right? Look back at the verse with me. Paul does not say, we have hope, so grief isn't necessary. That's not what he says. He says, you grieve but you do so differently. You grieve as people with hope. You need to know grief is right and godly and good. And so those of you who have parents who are divorced and you grieve at Christmas time, that's a godly thing to do, to grieve the loss of the union of marriage with your parents. It's a right and godly thing to do, to, to grieve the loss of a, a family member or friend or maybe just the reminder of, hey, it's been this many years since that person has died, and it's right and godly to, to grieve that. And as a church, we are grieving the loss of a, of a leader in our church. Some of you who haven't been with us don't know that, but, but just a couple weeks ago in this room, we had a funeral service to grieve the loss of a, a friend, of a leader in our church, a young guy, 37 years old, a significant leader in our church who's been with us since the very beginning, not just a leader in our church, but a friend of mine, and, and I'm grieving, and, and many of us are, are grieving that loss, and you need to know that is okay. That's even a godly thing to do. How do we know? Jesus. Jesus in John chapter 11 goes to, to meet Lazarus. Lazarus has, has died. And Jesus, all-knowing, all-sovereign Jesus, knows he's about to bring Lazarus back from death. But what does Jesus do in that moment? It says he weeps. He grieves. Right? So if you're grieving today, listen, we, we grieve together in this moment as a church, as individuals for all sorts of reasons, over loss. If you're grieving over your parents, if you're grieving over a family member, 
embrace that. Scripture says we mourn with those who mourn. We weep with those who weep. Christmas is glorious, but it's also a time where we can grieve in a godly way. So if a group of Christians has come alongside you in your grief and said, hey, just cheer up, buddy. I mean, what are you so down for? Jesus is alive. Just cheer up. Hey, put a smile on it. If someone has told you that, you need to know they're wrong. And you need to know it's okay to walk away. When somebody just pats you on the back and says, hey, just cheer up. It's been a few months. What's the big deal? It's right and godly to grieve. But here's the hope. We don't just grieve. We grieve as those who have hope. And so what does that look like? Paul's going to explain that to us. Hope in the Bible, as we mentioned, is different than the kind of hope we experience just in the the music and the lights. Hope in the Bible is mentioned over 200 times in the Bible. That it's this idea of confident expectation. It's more than wishful thinking. It's more than coins in a fountain. Hope biblically is confident expectation. So as we grieve losses, we grieve with a confident expectation, right? So as we take time to mourn, we, we mourn and we weep, and that's right to do, but we, but we do so with a confident expectation of the coming of Jesus Christ, that he came once as a baby, he's coming again as a king, and if you know Jesus, even in the midst of grief, you have a confident expectation. This is different than the kind of hope we often talk about and use in our daily vernacular of like, I hope I get this job. I hope she says yes. I hope the in-laws leave soon. And I hope I lose a few more pounds during the holiday season, even though I'm going to eat more and exercise less. This kind of hope is, is different. It's not based on probability. It's based on promise. So even when we grieve, we, we, we have this hope, this confident expectation based on the promises of God. Uh, earlier this week, my wife was at a Christmas party with our church, actually, with our women. And so I decided to venture out and have a confident expectation of going to the mall with my kids. <laughs> it, was, it was really courageous of me, I know. Just hold your applause for later, right? Uh, I took three of my, three my, my kids, three kids, I uh, only have three, um, just three. I uh, took three kids to the mall, and I haven't been to the mall in a long time, and they have this huge arcade, Arizona Mill, Mills Mall, huge arcade, and of course, my son, six years old, walks by that, and he's like, Daddy, we got to go in here, and so I'm like, all right, we go in here, look around, it's like a mall within a mall, as many things as they had in that place, and a lot of the things they had were those machines with those giant stuffed animals that you reach down with a claw and try to get one out. Any dads in here try to do that before? Yeah. One, one dad here. So we're walking through, and there's lots of these because it's a bigger arcade. There's not just one. There's lots of them. got big stuffed animals, little ones. they got Pokemons. they got all kinds of things. And so that's everything my kids gravitate towards is, is these big claw machines where you reach down and get a stuffed animal. Now, I usually know better because I know those things are a sham, right? And you just waste $5, and then you end up hopeless, Right? But there's moments where I get competitive and I'm like, all right, we're going to get one of those stuffed animals, right? And so I I go in and I try to get it and I try to use, they got the joystick, right? You've been there? You go up and you go around and I think the certain type of stuffed animal, like I can probably get that one. 
because he's got like these ears and big ears and I can just get something to claw on and I can get that stuffed animal and, I, and I'm going through and I'm like, kids, we're going to get a stuffed animal and like dollar after dollar after dollar, hopelessness after hopelessness after hopelessness, right? And we didn't get one, right? Maybe you thought that was going to end with some hope, like we got one. I don't think it's possible, right? The probability of that hope is very small, right? And here's what I thought about is sometimes we treat life like that. Sometimes we treat God like that. Sometimes we treat the God of hope like that is we think, man, there's some things I want to happen in my life, particularly at Christmas time. Like I want this relationship to work out. I want this girl to say yes. Guys just keep looking at me, right? But like I'm hoping this is going to happen. I'm hoping this is going to happen. I'm hoping this is going to happen. Hope I get this for Christmas. Hope I get that Christmas bonus. And, And what we're doing is like, that joystick, and we're just like turning it a little bit and get this right angle. If I could just hope for the right thing and I can get that thing, or maybe even in the church and in your relationship with God, you think Christmas time, what do we do? We go back to church and you're pushing that joystick to the right and to the left. Like we go back to church and we read our Bible and we pray to God and we go through the motions and then God will bless us and give us hope. And we're taking that claw with that joystick and we're just maneuvering it Just right, so that we'll get the hope that we so desperately want. And you need to know, biblical hope is different than that. The hope Paul is talking about is different than that. It's not something you maneuver. It's something God has gifted you in Christ. It's not a probability to like, can I maneuver this? Can I get it? Or can I not? It's something God gifts you. It's his grace. It's based on his promises, not whatever probability you can decipher. And so if we have to ask, what's the promise that our hope is based on? What promise can we know? We can receive hope because of something that's already been done. Look at verse 14. Paul tells us, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So why do we have hope even in the face of death? Why do we have hope even in the face of loss? Why do we have hope even in the midst of grief? The promise that Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead. Jesus came as a baby. So we celebrate at Christmas, but he didn't stay a baby. He, he died on a cross, but he didn't stay on a cross. He rose again, conquering Satan, sin, death, and the grave. And so we don't have a probability of hope that we have to maneuver. We have a promise of hope that's already been wrought for us in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the Advent season. That's the coming of Jesus Christ. And that pushes us forward to his second coming. That one day God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. That even for the Christian, that even in death, that's not the end. That we look forward to a day Jesus will come back and he will bring with him all those who have died, who have put their trust in him. And so even as we do grieve loss, even as you've lost a friend recently, like we have as a church, even if you've lost a family member, even if it's been years, you can remember that loss and grieve that loss and it's healthy to do so, but you can also look forward that Jesus is going to reunite us with them, that Jesus reunites them with him. We're going to see that more as we continue in this, but this is the hope that we have in the resurrection. 
It's a, a transformative hope. It's a hope, again, not that we just look at. It's a hope that, that changes us. It looks at us. It, it transforms us. And we see that really clearly in the disciples. The disciples, the people who follow Jesus, the 12 in the Gospels. People like Peter. I, I don't know if you pick favorites in life. I don't know if you pick favorites with the disciples, but I do, and it's Peter, right? I, mean, I just love Peter because I can relate to him, right? I mean, he just doubts things all the time. If you read the Gospels, he doesn't get a lot right, and I'm like, that's my man. And if Peter can follow Jesus and be the corner, you know, like help build the church, like I have a shot, right? And so I love looking at the life of Peter, and Peter is one of those people who shows us what transformative resurrection hope looks like. Right? You think about the Gospels, Peter denies Jesus how many times? Three times. Three strikes, you're out, right? But not with Jesus, right? Peter denies Jesus three times, but yet Peter goes on to help build Jesus' church. What happens? Peter goes from a, a doubting disciple to a bold proclaimer. What happens? What happens between John 18, when Peter denies Jesus three times, in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 22, where Peter is preaching post-resurrection, says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this is Jesus delivered up according to the definitive plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified him and killed him by the hands of lawless men. Yet God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Peter who denies Jesus three times in John 18 is the same Peter who proclaims Jesus in Acts chapter 2. That was eloquent. That was powerful. That was saturated and soaked with truth of the resurrection of Christ. So what, what changes someone from a, a doubting disciple to a bold proclaimer? It's the resurrection of Christ. It's the hope of the resurrection of Christ. The hope that, that Jesus rose from the dead. The confident expectation that we will too. That Jesus beat death. That's what changes Peter. That's what changes us as we put our hope in Jesus. And what I love about that is Acts chapter 2 is Peter's preaching to an audience of people, to a large group of people, people who didn't know this hope, people who hadn't received this hope yet. And as Peter receives this hope and as he's changed by this hope, he uses that to change other people. It's not just hope for himself. He's not just a recipient of hope. He's an agent of hope. And that's what we are too. As we realize that we have a hope in Christ, a confident expectation, we are God's chosen agent to then extend that to other people. Right? That's what Peter did. That's what we're called to do. I love being a, a part of a church who does that, who extends the same hope that we have received. We saw this yesterday. Uh, many of you contributed to a toy drive we did over the last few weeks. That culminated yesterday in a big event called Christmas in Garfield, right in the heart of downtown Phoenix, where kids stand in line from about 5 a.m. to 12 noon to get one toy because they don't have that one toy. And I got to be there. Some of you were there yesterday. I got to share the gospel with those guys and the Christmas story as they're walking through to get that toy. And we just give them one toy. And some of us could think, if we're cynical, those kids, inner city Phoenix, they need a lot more than one toy. 
Like, and if you're cynical, I mean, not me, but like other people out there, if you're cynical, like you could think like, why we, should we just give them one toy? Like, is there more like we could give them than just a toy? Like, why do we give them a toy? Because we're agents of hope. Because hope is powerful. Because as those kids show up and they're standing in line, but seeing tons and tons of people with church shirts on, tons and tons of people with lanyards on, who are there just to serve them, who are there proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of hope, the resurrected Jesus, the coming of Jesus as a baby, but also the second coming of Jesus as king, that we are there to proclaim that and to practice that before them. And as we give them that one toy that's a symbol of all of that, that they have to reconcile in their mind, like why would all these people gather together on a Saturday morning why would all these families, there's kids running around from all these different churches, from our church as well. All these families, they have their own kids. They could give toys to them. They could do Black Friday and do all of that for them. This could be a consumeristic Christmas, but it's not like, why would you give me this soccer ball? I don't even know you. It's the power of hope. It's the power of, of presence. It's the power of the presence of Jesus Christ, the resurrected Christ being extended. It's what we did with Chris Laurent, the, the production lead that we lost, that, that died unexpectedly. We got together to, to give them hope, right? Because we're not just recipients of hope, we're agents of hope. And so we took an offering for two weeks and we just got the total back last night and it's $7,130.90. Yeah, so you guys can celebrate that and thank God for that. And so we're going to write a check for $7,000 to Rachel Laurent, Scout and Archer, her kids. Because in the midst of loss, we have grief, but we also have hope. And we're not just recipients of that hope. We're agents of hope. And we extend that to others, particularly at this Christmas time. I'm so thankful to be a part of a church who extends hope. That's the hope that Paul is referring to. We receive a hope, we extend a hope, and it's rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we continue, we have this confident expectation. We're going to see what this expectation is clearly. Verse 15, look at that verse with me. Verse 15, Paul says, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. There's a lot there, right? This is talking about our end, but also the end and the hope that we have in the midst of that. So there's a lot there. I want to focus on just a few things. Paul says, we know that death is not the end because the Lord spoke it, verse 15. That we trust him and because he will personally show up, verse 16 and 17, we, he grabs those who died and then grabs us who are still here and he takes us with them. This is the glorious second coming of Christ. This is when Christ comes back as king to rule and reign, to make all things right. It's when heaven comes 
to earth, right? This is that second coming, that advent, that coming that we wait on, that Jesus is coming back. And, and it sort of goes through that sequence. And some of you are like, well, Tim, there's a lot in there. Like, who goes first? And the people who are asleep go. And then the people who are left go. Like, what happens in the meantime? I'm preaching a funeral tomorrow for another family member of someone in our church. And I think the biggest question we all have is, okay, one day Jesus is going to come back. Amen, glory, hallelujah, no more tears, no more pain, no more death. Love that. But what happens when my grandmother dies now? Go to the funeral, there's a body, like what happens then? And so we're not going to do a whole sermon on this, but I do want to give you a few things. 2 Corinthians 5 says that when we're away from the body, we're at home with the Lord. The thief on the cross, when Jesus died on the cross, there's a thief right next to him, and he says to him in a moment, today you will be with me in paradise. He doesn't say, hey, one day when I come back. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. Romans 14 says, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. This passage right here, verse 18 The focus is that we will be with the Lord. You see that? So we will always be with the Lord. What happens in the meantime? You're with the Lord. What does that exactly look like? Be nice if we could know. Maybe you've read one of those books where somebody sees the light, they kind of know, and they write the book and sell a lot of copies. I don't know. But I know we're with the Lord. When you're away from the body, you're with the Lord. So, so how do you mourn the loss of somebody, your grandmother or a family member, and you're looking at that grave? They're not there. That you're not just a, a body with a soul. You're a soul with a body. Your soul is with the Lord. You go to be with the Lord. That's the point that Paul is making. He's not trying to get in a whole confusing, like, end times discussion. He's looking at the hope, the confident expectation that we are united with Christ in life. And that doesn't change with death. That nothing can separate us from his love. Neither height, nor depth, nor principalities, not even death. So when someone dies, they are are with the Lord. Now, Now, why so much focus on being with Jesus, with the Lord? It's because when we're alive, the reality is we're around a lot of people. Right? We're around a lot of people. You're around your spouse. You're around your kids, you're around your neighbors, you're around your, your coworkers, you're around your boss. And I think for a lot of us, we live with those people in mind. Being with those people, getting approval from those people. Maybe right now you're hoping in your career to get approval from your boss so you can get that bonus, so you can get that promotion. You're hoping for approval from your wife as you buy her that Christmas gift. And it's not something that she's gotten before and you've forgotten You're you're hoping for that approval from all these people that are around you in your life. And that's where our thoughts go, don't they? I mean, that's where my thoughts go. Like, as I walk into church this morning, I'm not thinking about being with the Lord. I'm thinking about being with you, which is a good thing. But that's all I usually think about. When I walk into work, I'm thinking about those people and what they think of me and do they approve of me. And so Paul is making it clear, the Bible makes clear, you're going to be around a lot of people, but you're only going to stand before one person. His name is Jesus Christ. And so as we think about hope, how do we have hope? We look at the people around us to be sure. 
We love them. We extend hope to them. But don't get it confused. You don't stand before them. You stand before Jesus Christ. You will be with Jesus Christ forever. His approval is the only one that matters. You live before an audience of one, not everybody else. So why does Paul make that clear? Why am I making that clear? Is it because other people don't matter? No. It's because we spend the majority of our time thinking about them when we should be thinking about him. And how does he perceive us? And how are we living for him? And how is this loss of this family member or this friend or this thing I'm grieving, how is this loss viewed by him? How does, how does Jesus Christ see what's taking place in my life right now? When's the last time you, you considered that? When's the last time you, you wrestled with it? Listen, I know Christmas is busy. I know you got parties to attend. I know you got plans to make. I know you have shopping to do. Don't miss, and all the people that are around you, the one person that you'll stand before for all eternity, his opinion counts the most. That's who you have hope in. That's who you have a confident expectation in. So Paul wants to make it clear, hey, you're going to be with Jesus for eternity in life and in death. That's where hope lies. Verse 18, Paul says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. So maybe as I say, hey, you're going to be with Jesus forever. Hey, you're going to stand before Jesus. Maybe for some of you, that scares you. Because you're like, oh, so, okay, Jesus, right? I, I, can, I can make myself look good in front of my boss, but Jesus kind of knows everything, <laughs> I can buy my wife like a diamond necklace and make up for all the things I've done to her. But Jesus, like, he sees everything. And so if the focus is standing before Jesus and being with Jesus, for some of you, that scares you. And you need to know it doesn't need to scare you. It should sober you. It should cause you to consider at this Christmas season, what is my hope in? Is it around other people or is it around the person of Jesus Christ? It should sober you but not scare you. But ultimately, Paul wants to encourage you. He says, encourage one another with these words. The reality is, as we look forward to the coming of Christ, this Advent season, the coming of a baby, but the coming of a king, you should be encouraged. You should place your faith in Christ. You should turn away from sin. You should turn away from the approval of other people and stand before an audience of one, the person of Jesus Christ, and put your hope in him. And then you will be encouraged. And then we can encourage each other with these words and with other words. Other words like Revelation 21, no more tears, no more pain, no more death. I mean, how encouraging is that? I mean, no more death. Yes, that's encouraging. No more pain. Can you imagine? I know for me, I'm 36 years old, and it used to be that I would experience pain from, like, getting injured. Like, maybe working out, or you, you get hurt, or something falls on you, and you experience pain because you get injured doing something physically active. Now, at 36 years old, I experience pain from lying down. Right? Right? Uh, not too long ago, something was wrong with my car. I have an old car, and I, and I had to get down on the ground. It was rattling. I had to get down on the ground and basically get in push-up position and kind of look down under the car, right? And I did that. Uh, it was harder then. Um, 
But I did that, and I'm laying down looking at something, and I get back up, and my neck hurts, like really bad. Like I pulled something in my neck. So I come home, and, and I'm talking about that with my wife, and I'm like, later in the day, my, my legs started to hurt a little bit too. And I was like, my leg's a little numb, and my, my neck hurts. And she's like, well, what did you do? And I said, well, I, you know, I, was, I laid down. And um, that's it. I laid down and my neck hurts and my leg hurts and, and we experience pain, right? Anybody there with me? You experience pain. Listen, encourage one another with these words. Revelation 21, no more tears. No more pain. No more death. Right? This is why we can grieve, but not as those without hope. This is why we can grieve but still have a confident expectation in Jesus Christ because he has come and he's coming again and he's going to take away all pain, all tears, all death. And so as we experience this Christmas season, some of you are celebrating the glory of Christmas and amen, you should. It's a glorious time of year. But some of you, if you're honest, you're grieving the loss of a friend the loss of your parents' marriage, the loss of someone who's just distant from you. Maybe they're not, they haven't died, but they just, you don't talk to them like you used to. And you're reminded of that as you go to these parties, as you go to your family's house for Christmas, you're reminded of, of loss. And you need to know in the midst of that, you can grieve, but grieve with hope. Not because of the people around you, but because of the person of Jesus Christ. You, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you're a recipient of hope. You're an agent of hope. And if you're looking around at other people who seem hopeless, guess whose job it is to bring them hope? It's yours. It's the beauty of the local church. Because right now in this room, there are some people who are like, what's this guy talking about? I have incredible hope right now. I mean, we're going to look at lights tonight, Tim, like hot cider. It's cold outside. It's an amazing time of the year. Like, what's this guy talking about? All this loss and hopelessness. You're to extend that same hope to the other people who don't have it. You're to look across the aisle in this room today and recognize there's some people who don't have that same hope. And you extend that to them. And it's all rooted in this confident expectation in Jesus Christ. That's why you're here. And as I say that, I know some of us, as we talk about hope, we think, well, man, other people have hope, but I've done too much. It's been too long. I've waited too long to even come to church. I mean, Tim, this is the first Christmas season I've even entered a, a sanctuary like this. Maybe that hope is for other people, but it's not for me. And you need to know it is for you. How do we know? We look at the Bible. We look at people like Peter. We look at people like Paul who wrote this passage that we just went through. You know anything about Paul? He, I mean, yeah, he wrote two-thirds of our New Testament. He was this bold missionary for Jesus, starting all these churches. But that wasn't all of Paul's life. That a big portion of his life was not like that at all. That a big portion of Paul's life, he wasn't just running from God. He was chasing down Christians. Right? He was killing Christians, persecuting the church. He was, it's hard to draw a parallel to today, but it would kind of be like a member of Al-Qaeda. That's Paul. But, but Jesus 
comes to Paul in Acts chapter 9, shows up, illuminates truth to Paul, transforms Paul, gives him his Holy Spirit, points him to the hope that he has in Jesus, in the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul is transformed. And he's never the same. And so that he goes on to write two-thirds of our New Testament. He goes on to proclaim the gospel boldly and start all these churches to point other people to the hope that he has. Paul wasn't too far gone. You aren't either. And so this hope is for you. If you would trust in Jesus, if you would put your hope in Jesus, the one you'll stand before, the one you'll be with for all eternity. Listen, I want to challenge you this morning. Put your hope in Jesus. Maybe you need to talk about some sin in your life and repent of that to him. Maybe you need to to go to somebody else and ask for prayer. Again, that's what this time is for. Put your hope in Jesus. Don't live another minute without this hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for these men and women. I want to thank you for the hope we have in Jesus that intersects them right now. In the midst of their reality, in the midst of even their loss, in the midst of all the things that don't make sense, God, you have wrought for them a hope in Jesus Christ. It's not based on probability. It's based on the promise of Jesus Christ. And God, I know, I know, I know there's men and women in here, including myself, who have experienced loss even recently, who at times this Christmas will enjoy the glory of it, but also experience the grief of it. And God, I pray that you would renew a hope, a confident expectation in you during this time, that they would grieve absolutely, but they would do so as people with hope, God, may we respond as we sing songs. May we respond. May we declare this hope that it's true for us, those who have died with Christ and been resurrected with Christ, given new life in him. We look forward to you coming as a baby. We celebrate that, but we look forward to you coming as king. God, help us to sing about that, celebrate that, hope in that. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.